Evening, everybody. Very good to see you. Um, only you will know this, uh, and God, of course. Uh, I, I just feel that, or wonder if, uh, we don't want to move on too quickly uh, from where we were just before notices and things like that. It seemed to me a really powerful moment when those folks came up, a few folk came up and said, this is pretty rubbish in my life, but I'm standing on the fact that God is good. And I reckon for everybody who came up, there's another 10, 20 out there who are sensing something of that. Your battle, it doesn't take much to get in touch with what your battle is or your challenge is. And you're wondering, fundamentally, is God good? Is he really good? Is it going to change? We sang a song earlier uh, in the day this morning, which is that song which is walking around the walls. You know that one uh, based on the story of Jericho? Walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall. What, why haven't you broken through, God? Why hasn't this issue, this great uh, thing that is troubling me, why hasn't it you know, been erased yet? Why haven't you done something? Are, are you good? Fundamentally, of course, it is the question that lies beneath everything. It's the first question in the garden, if you remember. It's effectively what, what, what the serpent is saying to, to, to the first human beings, saying, Are you, is God good? Do you really think that God is good? If God was good, surely he'd let you do this and this and this and this. And so it's not surprising that we, that we sense that. Your, your, your wording might be slightly different. But if I may, I just want us to pray again, uh, or just leave, even leave a pause. I don't really know where I'm going with this, but I, I think it's really important that we capture that. Because God always, always, always wants to encourage us. And it's called faith, by the way. Jesus says at some point to some people, you're blessed because you, you've, you've believed because you've seen. Says to his friends, you know, you've seen holes in my side. You've seen me physically. But blessed are those who believe who haven't seen, right? And that's, that's the gist of it, isn't it? That's the, the, the nub of the whole thing. Is God good? Can I trust him? Will he come through for me? This challenge that I'm facing, what's going to happen? Is it going to be okay or not? I could really do with a hand, God. Are you going to... I'll believe you if you do it. Anyway, just, can, can we just be quiet for a moment? You might want to capture that. I know that will apply to more than just the ones who shared here. So let's just pray a moment. <clears throat> Father, we're making declarations in the things that we're singing and saying that are very big. And uh, we thank you that we can and we thank you that you give us grace to the extent that we know that you're good and that you're loving and that you're kind and that you're compassionate and that you are a perfect father, not an imperfect one. Therefore, that you can be trusted. God, we, we say amen and thank you, even though you know our battle and you know the place that we're in. We're asking that you would move, Lord, in so many lives. But Father, we're asking that you'd give us faith and trust and grace to keep going and to put one foot in front of the other and to declare that you're good and to know that you're God and to see that you're good and to be a people of praise and thanks. God, thank you that you know us so well. We can bring our, our own doubts before you and our own struggles and, and these kinds of things. But would you fortify this family of faith in the things of God and in a conviction that you're good all of the time? Would you bless us even tonight, Lord, in this we pray. Amen. Amen. We're kind of there uh, this evening as well, actually, uh, carrying on in this little series on Ezra. We'll come to that in a moment. Do you, you, some of you might know this story. Uh, 1962, President JFK, uh, JF Kennedy in America, he went to visit NASA, the space agency. And he found somebody, he was walking around, he found somebody, he said, so what do you do? 
And they said, well, what I do is I, I, I connect this little bit of metal to this component here, and then I pass it down the line to the next person who does the next thing. Oh, thank you very much. That's interesting. And we went to another person. What do you do? Oh, well, I'm the foreman. I'm the overseer in the factory. And what I do is to make sure that the schedule of work uh, is in place, and it's organized, and that people know what they're doing, and that they've got what, they've, what they need, and, and that the whole thing runs OK. Oh, that's great. Well done, you. And he went to this next guy, who happened to be a cleaner, had a broom in his hand. What do you do here? And the man said, well, Mr. President, I am helping to put a man on the moon. I love that story, true story. Because that was a beautiful example of somebody who had a compelling and beautiful understanding of how they fitted into a bigger story, right? Into a bigger sense of purpose, into a, into a kind of mission, which was much bigger than them and much bigger than just their job title. Okay, different roles, different kind of responsibilities within that organization. But that person had this incredible sense that I fit into this. And it's really, really amazing. And friends, I believe that what God wants to do tonight is to renew us in our confidence in how we fit. How your life fits into a bigger story. A compelling story, a beautiful story. And I believe that there'll be some people in the room who even carry that sense at the moment, I'm not sure if I fit. I don't know where I fit. I'm not really sure. It feels like the people around me may be fit, but I don't know if I do. And that's a normal human question, by the way. We don't, don't feel left out if that's your question. We all feel that in different sorts of ways. But God has the answer to that question supremely. He says, no, 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 there's a place that you fit. You fit your unique personality, character, life, and so on. You fit. And by the way, I'm, not, I'm talking about a bigger story than just uh, the job title that you might have or the daily activities that you do. A bigger story than, oh, I fit in my social group at the moment. I know that's a big deal for all of us. We want to fit with our friends, and sometimes we feel left out, and sometimes we don't. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something much more bigger, much bigger, much more compelling, because it's a God-shaped fitting in. And I know that's a really massive thing to kind of uh, go out on a wet and windy February evening, but it really, uh, really matters. And God wants us to be confident in this. He wants us to be renewed in our confidence. If, if we once had that confidence about it, we knew this. And maybe actually for some, for the first time, you're going to have a sense tonight of, wow, I fit into that kind of story. That's amazing and evidence of a, of a really good God. He's, he's so cool like that. And we're going to do that in the book of Ezra. That's the Old Testament book uh, of Ezra that if you've been around the last couple of weeks, we are digging into. And I'll just pause then. Some of us might even be thinking, why on earth would we do that? Why in, what year is it? 2020 in Cheltenham, would we be looking at an ancient book that was written 3,000 something years ago? Why would we do that? To answer this very contemporary question, where do I fit? Brief answer, this isn't the message tonight, but brief answer, I just wanted to address it in case you're wondering that thing. Uh, two short answers to that. Firstly, Jesus did. Jesus gave authority and authorization and credence to the scriptures. See, do you know, in his own teaching, he quoted 24 books of, the old, of our current Old Testament in, in his teaching. He uh, put himself under the authority of the Old Testament. We'll come back to that. And so if we call ourselves followers of Jesus in any sense, here tonight, and I appreciate that some of us might not, and that's cool, and it's great that you're still on that journey of questioning whether you're going to become a follower of Jesus. But if you'd use that title of yourself, I am a follower of Jesus, what does that imply that you do with Jesus? Follow, right? It's not difficult. 
In other words, we would do the same kind of things that Jesus did. We'd follow his example. Well, if he's leaning on Old Testament scriptures, then we need to. That's the first reason. Second reason is it's all about him anyway. Some of you have read the Narnia books. They're all about Aslan. He might not feature on every page, but he is the presence throughout all the books. In the same way, Jesus is the presence throughout the entirety of scripture. So it's really important that we get that. Otherwise, we'll just limit ourselves to the little bits in the red writing where Jesus is speaking in the Gospels. No, it's about the whole thing. Of course it is. So uh, here's Ezra, and I thought I'd show you a minute of introduction in case you missed it last week or you just need to be reminded. How does this, what's going on in this funny old book? Here's a minute on the screen just to remind you. The reason I showed you that is partly to remind you of the, the kind of background to, to Ezra, and it's good to get information, right? Uh, we're not about cramming our heads with information, but nonetheless, as followers of Jesus, we want to have some information which helps us to be transformed. We're after transformation. The other reason is just to point out that that's from a series called The Bible Project, and uh, they have that for every book of the Bible. So if we're going to take God's word seriously, and we're going to come to that a bit later in this message, then I commend that to you. If that's a way that kind of helps you by way of background learning, The Bible Project on YouTube, they've got everything, things like that, about seven or eight minutes for every book in the Bible. I was reading uh, this week, I'm old enough to, to remember it, that uh, in 1977, Coca-Cola did a rather strange thing. They thought it would be a really good idea to expand away from their core activity, and instead of producing Coke, they started uh, experimenting producing wine, producing and selling wine. Maybe not surprisingly, it didn't go very well. They weren't very good at it, and they had, it was a bit of a disaster. They lost a load of money, and they had to come back to their business. Apparently, I was reading uh, Cosmopolitan magazine, have done exactly the same thing. Do you know what they, what they diversified away from? They're a magazine. Guess what they started producing? Yogurt. Yeah, they thought that would be a real winner. And uh, it turned out that it wasn't. And so they had to come back to their, their business. And I, I get that some companies kind of do different products and it goes well for them. But it, it just made me think that um, whenever we move away from our core purpose, Whenever we come out from underneath the big story that God has written for us to fit into, we're going to be in trouble. It's not going to go well for us. To flourish, to succeed in life, we need to reconnect with that big story. We need to reconnect with what God has made us for. So here's Ezra and Nehemiah, another chapter in the episode in the history of the people of God, and they're being led back to the purpose, the prime purpose that they had left what is their prime purpose in a nutshell? It's to be the people of God. It is to be the family of God and then live out of that identity. But let's just back up even more and catch the whole sweep of things. I'm sorry, these are gigantic, uh, I'm sorry, not sorry, gigantic kind of thoughts for us. What is the sweep of whole history? What is God doing in history, his story? I don't know how you would answer that question. There's a whole way, number of ways that we could answer that question in the scriptures. But here's one. He's gathering a family. What is God about in the world? What is the whole history from beginning to end? He's gathering a family. I wonder if you see it like that. The Bible makes it pretty clear. God's plan is that he's gathering a family. If God had not wanted a family, he would not have created the universe that he's created. He would not have created the human race. He would not have made you and me. Ephesians 1.5, in a particular version, says this, God's unchanging plan, he doesn't change his mind, has always been to adopt us, that includes you, into his own family by bringing us to himself 
through Jesus. And this gave him great pleasure. I love that bit. Gave God great pleasure. This is a really good plan, says God. This is my big plan from beginning. There's nothing bigger than this. You can't hear anything. This is the best news that can land in any human ear ever. God's gathering a family. God has made you to love you. It's the most important thing about you. If you were to turn to your neighbor now, don't, don't but imagine it, and say, this is the most important thing about me is whatever. I support Arsenal. That's a very important thing about you. But I'm going to say it's not the most important. I'm very good at maths. I've got my driving test coming up. Whatever. The most important thing about you, about any of us, is that we're loved by God. It's the most true thing about us. He made us to love us. All of us are loved by God. We can't change his mind on that. But not everybody is a child of God. Because he leaves room for choice. You can't, to, to love means you have to have, have to have the choice not to love. Uh, and therefore, we need to accept, or he, he doesn't force us to accept his invitation. He says, I've created you to love you and for you to enjoy a relationship with me. And I sent Jesus to make that possible. He died on the cross. He's risen. I've sent the Holy Spirit to be with you. But Jesus paid the price for all that rubbish that goes on in our hearts, all that rebellion, all that selfishness, all that pride, all the yucky stuff that you prefer nobody else to know. You don't really like it, let alone anybody else seeing it. He paid the price for all of that. He dealt with all of that. That's the victory of the, of the cross that we celebrate again and again and again. So you're forgiven. There's new purpose, new destiny, new hope, new way of living, new way of seeing things as part of my family, says God. As part of my family. And there's still some saying no to that. No thanks. I, I don't want that. Maybe sometime, never, don't know, still wrestling with it, whatever. But for those who have said yes to that, begun that journey, the Bible calls it being born again, being moved from a place of deadness, a place of separation, a place of not being in the family, to being in the family, enjoying the fruits, beginning to enjoy the fruits of all of that. He says, you're my son and, uh, and you're my daughter, and that's the most precious identity that you have. You've got loads of different identities. Of course you have student, girl, boy, Driver, Arsenal supporter, whatever. Rugby fan, sorry the Welsh, well done the English yesterday. You know, Jim Bunny, whatever. But your most important identity, bar none, if you've put your hand into the hand of Father God, is that you're a son, you're a daughter. How extraordinary is that? He made you to love you, made you to be part of the family. This is the big story that resides over the people of God. And by the way, when he's gathered the family... Once that family's gathered, then we head on into an eternal destiny. Big, mind-stretching thoughts, obviously. But God has set eternity in the hearts of men. And there's, in my view, there's, there's such a, an emphasis on the here and now in our culture and in ourselves. We're such a physical, material world. We risk underplaying hugely the there and then. The fact that there's eternity. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Narnia books, he wrote something about this. He said, and he's writing about effectively followers of Jesus coming to the end of your life on earth. And I know that for many of you that seems like, you know, ages away. He said this though, but for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All of their life in this world, all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. And now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read and which goes on forever and in which every chapter is better than the one before. We'll all have to give an account one day. The eternal dimension to life, we, we miss it in our culture. Other cultures, by the way, don't. 
Uh, I'm about to head off to Kenya again. They've got a, a, a much kind of shrewder awareness, and they live with more of an awareness of eternal realities. And certainly in the New, New Testament, uh, forebears did as well. So God is gathering his family. And uh, without being oversimplistic about it, the way that he started off the whole family gathering bit in the Old Testament was to choose a people who were going to kind of model this, be the forerunners. He chose the, the people of Israel the pe- and called them the people of God. You know that, that uh, who then become, as, as it were, the church that one day extends across all races and all tribes and all ages and all uh, geographical boundaries. But he, he chose these people to model be a kind of demonstration of what it would look like to live God's way. So he has all these, uh, this communication with them. He gives them covenants. He gives them promises. He says, here's a great way of living this. You'll succeed if you live like that. Here's some things to avoid. And uh, here's how to relate to yourself. Here's how to relate to each other in love. Here's how to relate to strangers. Most crucially, here's how to relate to me. Uh, and uh, this is a way of succeeding. And time and time and time again, the people of God, guess what? They messed up spectacularly. Of course they did. You know some of the stories, if you're familiar with your Bibles. Time and again, they face, therefore, the consequences of messing up, because there are always consequences, right? You make a bad choice, there's consequences. It's the law of sowing and reaping. And so decisively what's happened in this part of the story is they've messed up really, really badly again. Some of you know this. Andrew was introducing it to us last week. And uh, the Assyrians have come, and, uh, and they've carted off a whole load of people over to uh, Babylon, and they've been in exile for many, many years. And they cry out. They realize what they've done wrong. They cry out to their God. And time and time and time again, God is gracious, and he's merciful, and he hears them. And so again, they've got this chance to come back to Jerusalem from exile. There's about 50,000 in this group. And Ezra is their leader in in this bit, and they come back, and uh, they they begin to settle in Jerusalem. Although, of course, it's not just the geography that makes the difference. Just coming back to the right place geographically is not quite enough, is it? That would be a bit like saying that when we've got problems and stuff's going bad, we just come into a building, we go to church, in one of my least favorite phrases ever, as if coming into a building on a Sunday night will kind of make something happen. No. Coming back geographically needs to be accompanied in, in, by, with coming back in their hearts to the right place too. So of course they rebuild, begin to rebuild the physical temple. You know the story. They begin to rebuild the altar and so on. And later on the walls, Nehemiah is responsible for that. But they're just kind of outworkings. They're kind of symbols of the rebuilding, the reconnecting that has to happen in their hearts as they rededicate to him. And Andrew, last week, if you were here, he began to talk about the first priority in that reconnecting. Even before the rebuilding of the temple began under Zerubbabel, they had to unite in first things first. And the first things first was to worship God. Because that's always the highest priority. And this is where their story begins to collide with ours. This is where we kind of, it begins to impact us hugely too. First things first, worship is about recognizing that God is king and that we're not. Clearly, you don't need to go to a particular uh, city, particular building, can find the presence of God anywhere because he's poured out his spirit, but to recognize that God is God, to give him affection, to give him adoration, to acknowledge that he's in charge to give him all our admiration. That's to, to worship, to set him first. So they worshiped together. They united around that. They reestablished some festivals. They redid a kind of pattern of, of uh, life that enabled them to gather around the presence of God in that place. And that's what's going on in chapters 1 to 6 of Ezra. And we get to chapter 7. Just uh, want to explore that just a little bit. That's what I've been given tonight. And uh, here's Ezra, this man of God. So I'm just going to read a few verses. They'll be on the screen. 
having gathered around the presence of God in worship, here's the next crucial bit for them. After these things, during the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, son of son of son of son of, this Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher, well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king had granted him everything that he asked. For the hand of the Lord God was on him. That's a good phrase, isn't it? Who'd like the hand of the Lord God on them? Who'd like the favor of God on them? Beautiful phrase. Some of the Israelites, including priests, Levites, musicians, gatekeepers, temple servants, also came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes. And Ezra arrived in Jerusalem with this bunch of people in the, uh, on the first day of the fifth month, for the gracious hand of God was on him. And here's one of the key verses. We're going to dwell in this for the rest of our time. Ezra had devoted himself to the study and the observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees. So not only did the people need to gather around the presence of God in worship, here's the second thing they need to do, to demonstrate, to proclaim what life would be like in relationship with God under those covenant promises, the people of God living under the purpose of God, fitting into the bigger story that he's painting. What do they need to do? What do we need to do? They need to gather around the word of God. If you're somebody who's wanting to know how to fit back into or be renewed in your confidence in the way that you fit into the big story of God, priority of gathering around his presence in worship by yourself, with others, in groups, here, elsewhere, and gathering around his word, prioritizing his word, the word of God. In a different version of that verse, it says this, Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, and then to do it, and then to teach its decrees and laws to the rest of them. And okay, the story is about an individual, but this is what the, the gang gets to do together. And I've just got three or four things I want to say about this word. The first one is the biggest. And it's this, pursue God's word. It's very strong language here. He set his heart. That's the, that's the thing that you do when you're really gripped by something, right? You set your heart to do it. That's what Ezra did. And he didn't do it so that nobody else needed to do it. He did it so that he could model how to do it for others. He had an incredible passion about him for the word of God, the voice of God. John Wesley uh, said this, I found this quote this week. He said, I want to know one thing, the ways of God. And he himself has condescended to teach those ways. And for this very end, he came from heaven. And he hath written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book, said John Wesley, who wrote all the best tunes 200 years ago. At any price, he said, at any price, give me the book of God. I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. Let me be a man of one book. And even as I say that, I don't know what's going through your head. Oh, not the Bible. Really? Oh, so struggle with the Bible. We were talking about this at Element on, on Thursday. And we, as soon as somebody like me or any of us say, how are you doing with your Bible? It's kind of that invitation to a guilt trip. And oh, I'm not as good as I should be, and I ought to read more and all that. We've got to ditch that stuff. That's totally unhelpful voice. That's the religious parrot on our shoulder. Got to kill that parrot. Some of you all know the story of the heavenly man. He's a Chinese guy, Chinese Christian. He only had a tiny portion of the scriptures. I think it was a bit of Hebrews in his own language. He's so respected and loved and wanted to hear the voice of his God through these scriptures that he learned them off by heart. And he would go to all the villages and he would, he would regurgitate Hebrews. It's all he knew, but God used him powerfully to meet, the other, meet other people. 
I saw a clip on um, the Wycliffe Bible Translators website the other day. Liz Williams, who's in this church family, she's a, one of our mission partners. She works for this incredible organization that translates the Bible into every language in the world. They've still got hundreds to go because there's so many tribal languages and they have to get, write it down. And I saw this clip of an airplane arriving in some very distant place carrying Bibles, the first Bibles ever to be translated into that language. And just the sight of people running from the countryside to greet this aeroplane, to get their hands on the scriptures in a language that they could understand, was so moving. Made me think, wow, man, do I, is, that, is that how I treat this book that we have in our hands so easily or, or, or on our gadgets? Such passion for uh, the word of God. Why does it matter so much? It seems a really strange question, but I'm going to answer my own obvious question. Because it's God's word. It's God's. It's not some theory. It's not some bit of good advice, not a bit of philosophy, not some ideas. This is God's word. If we're at all interested in aligning ourselves with God's purposes for us, and if he's the father who loves us and fathers us perfectly, everything that he says is good. Everything that he instructs us in is good. might be very uncomfortable, but it's good. So why would we not want to connect with a fierce passion, with the word and the voice of our God? It's God's word. Love it. And we may be in different places on that journey, but let's be praying for a hunger for his word. Because if we're not seeking to pay attention, first and foremost, to, to, to that voice, we will be shaped by other ones. It's not like, I'll ditch that one, but uh, there's nothing, no alternative. No, no, no. There'll be other voices. And friends, I was saying this on, on Thursday. We were exploring it a little bit together. We've really got to nail this. If you're a follower of Jesus in the, in the room this evening, we've re- really got to nail our relationship with this. Jesus himself had this relationship with the word of God, the word of his father. He sat under its authority. Now, we base our lives on, on all of us. We all base our lives, our decisions, the way we think, work, act, speak on something. We all base it on something, on some kind of authority. And we all get that from somewhere. And the issue for us tonight, from Ezra, if we're going to align ourselves and fit into God's big story, the biggest story is, what are we going to do with this book? How are we going to treat it? Are we going to be like Jesus here? We're going to submit to it. Or are we going to be how we might treat every other book? I speak to my own heart. I've been here so many times. Oh, Oh, I love that bit. Oh, that's a, oh, that's a great bit, that bit. That's that lovely. Do you know that story? That's a lovely one. That, oh, that makes me all feel, all, oh, no, I don't like, oh, no, I don't like that bit. I don't agree with that bit, so I'm going to tear that bit out of my Bible effectively and throw that away. I'm going to look for the bits that I agree with and the bits that I like, right? What am I doing? Friends, I'm not even holding the Bible here. I'm not going to stand on it, but imagine that I was. Effectively, I'm saying, no, 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 I'm the authority, and I'm judging the word of God. I'm going to decide the bits that I agree with and the bits that I don't. So pretty simple. What is your relationship with the word of God that he's given us in the scriptures? Is it this? Or is it something else like that? And by the way, if it's something else like that, don't imagine that there's nothing here. What's here is culture, probably. What's here is what we read off Twitter or social media or see on our screens or talk about in the uni or or whatever. These are the ideas and the things that become authoritative in our life. So I want to ask you this. How do you form your convictions about things? How do you know what's right and true? 
in every area of life? How do you come to your decisions, your convictions about, and your opinions about things? God's got something to say about everything, if we ask him, if we're interested. This book has all that we need. Of course, he, he fathers us perfectly. He, he will help us to convictions about stuff, about the place of sex, about friendships, about forgiveness, about how you care for your body, about um, how to interact with social media, frankly, about how to respect people, etc., etc., etc. There isn't a single topic that you could think of that he doesn't have something to help us guide. The question is, are we listening to his voice, or is that opinion going to be formed by something else or someone else? What somebody says about what somebody says about what somebody says, that's kind of Twitter's my particular social media. And it's all about opi opinions are great, by the way. We all have opinions. That's fine. It's just they're not authoritative. In here on third, I'm going to reveal a little secret. I, ho I hope you'll be okay about this. Not a secret. It's something obvious, really, when you think about it. When you begin a journey, what you come with is your views, your opinions. Alpha is an amazing place for bringing your views and your questions and your thoughts and your opinions, and that's what it's all about. It's designed to be exactly that, a beautiful, open, safe place to bring your stuff. But friends, the minute you decide, actually, I'm following Jesus, and, and you get baptized here, and you, in, in, in saying that, you're saying, no, I, I'm not in charge anymore. Jesus is my authority. The minute we're saying that, we're changing the, the way we, we relate to our opinions. Our opinions are still interesting, and we still need to share them, but they have no authority. Our authority becomes the word of God, doesn't it? Isn't it God's voice that then becomes the authority rather than my opinion, what I think, as interesting as that might be? I'm sorry to hammer, I'm not sorry, sorry, not sorry. I need to say it to myself all the time. I just think there's such a battle on, because let's not forget, the enemy's a liar. The enemy is a liar. He will use anything he can to tell you that God is not good and to lead you down a path of coming to convictions about things that are not God's best for us. I've labored that point um, at length, so I, I just need to move on a little bit, but culture's voice is so, so loud. By the way, in the, in the story... Um, when the guys came back, what they discovered was that the remnant, the people of Israel, they had been listening, of course, to other voices. And what, guess what happened? They'd look no different from the culture around them. So this is the people of God, the remnant of the people of God, the family of God, chosen by God to be what? Distinctive, to be forerunners, to be models of what it's like to live under God's ways. And they look no different. Why? Because they were listening to other voices and they started doing things which weren't according to his plan. They intermarried with people they weren't supposed to intermarry with and, and all that kind of stuff. We'll see a bit of that in the next couple of weeks. So many images for the church. One of them, by the way, is a lampstand. It's one of my favorite images for the church in the New Testament. That means to shine, means to shine the church to, not in a proud way, but to, to point to the light of the world, who's Jesus, to a watching world. Well, we can't shine if we're, if we're so compromised because we're listening to different voices. Uh, to realize the power of, of God's word, I'm going to skate over these last three real quick. Um, the power of his word, Ezra did that. I read a beautiful story this week. Um, there's a guy called Isaac. He's a tribesman in, the, in central India in a tribe I've never heard of called the Lambadi. Somebody may have heard of them. I hadn't. Um, and he was paralyzed two years ago. And the whole of his left side, in fact, all of his left side was completely motionless. He couldn't move it, hadn't been able to move it for years. And um, he had tried praying to his uh, gods, presumably his Hindu gods, asking for healing. Nothing happened. 
And then uh, they got the gospel, in fact, they got Mark's gospel in their own language, first time the scriptures came. It's the only bit of the Bible that they've got in their language. He read it. He read the story of the paralyzed man being in Mark 2, being led down, through, led down through the roof and Jesus healing him. He was so transfixed by this story, he began praying to a God that he didn't know. He said, Jesus, if you're real, would you heal me like you heal that man? You know where this story is going. God healed him miraculously, divinely. Over a period of time, his limbs began to move and his legs and everything. And he, he got up and he was able to uh, start walking. And the townsfolk were just blown away by it. And two years later, that man is now pastoring a church of 250 people in his town who he has been telling about this Jesus who healed him. And, all because, and they're saying, oh, it was, so it was, the, they began to say, oh, you're, the, the, the Hindu gods have, have healed you. And he said, no, 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 no. It's the God of this book. It's the power of the God of this book who's healed me and made me well, and you must know him. It's a beautiful story. There's power in the word of God, such power because God's powerful. The word of God is living and active, says Hebrews 4. You'll know the verse. So many places where this is true. Living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. I don't like the idea of a two-edged sword, and nor do you, because it it divides. It goes real deep. The word of God goes deep, but it has to go deep because that's where we need transformation. Who's interested in something going in one ear and out the other? That doesn't transform anybody. You want to change? Do you want to grow? Do you want to stay the same as you are now for the rest of your life? I'm guessing most people are here because they want to grow. We want to know more about the love of God. We struggle with stuff. We want to know that he's good. We want to see him active in his world, in our lives and through our lives with others. Well, then the word of God's got to go deep, hasn't it? It's got to do its work. So how are you doing with the word of God? Where is its priority in your life? How's that working out? James uh, 1 tells us about practicing the word. So does Ezra. Back to that verse. Ezra had prepared his heart. He's seeking the Lord. uh, And uh, he prepared his heart to seek the Lord and to do it. To do it. Not just listen to it. Remember that bit in James 1? It's a bit like looking in a mirror. If you look in a mirror and then turn away, well, you forget what you've seen. Now, the, the, the word of God needs to penetrate and go deep. It's fairly obvious, just reading isn't enough. Jesus was very fierce about that, very fierce with the Pharisees, people who read their scriptures a lot. They didn't do much with it. They certainly didn't come to him to have life. And then finally, about proclaiming his word. They're not rocket science, are they? We need to share it. So Ezra comes, shares what he's got. The people of God gather around the presence of God and his word, and they begin to take it seriously again. They begin to find themselves coming back under that story. I'll tell you a brief story about Kenya, then we'll finish. Um, when we started the partnership in, in Kenya, some of you are familiar with that uh, adventure that happens, and some people have had a chance to go, and I'd encourage you to go when you next get the chance. Emma's coming out on Thursday with me and a small team. And uh, when we started that out, it was interesting that there, was, there were very few churches there, church of, the ACK churches that we're connected with. And I remember Bishop Jackson, now Archbishop Jackson, saying, he said, you'll be able to tell really easily where the Christian community has got going. In other words, where they've realized that they fit into this bigger story. And I was kind of intrigued by that, but it was really, it was really interesting, really true. We used to go to these little remote places, and in many of them, as lovely as the people were, you could just see they were kind of fending for themselves and doing their own thing and trying to survive, and there's no sense of cooperation. And if I'm honest, there was a little bit of a, you know, oh, here come some handouts, and how can you help us, and that kind of thing. But when we went into communities, where they had gathered around the presence of God in worship. They'd gathered around the word of God to hear his voice 
amazing transformations begin to, began to happen. And the people begin to share resources, begin to uh, be generous, begin to find ways of, of blessing one another. And, and the community around would see this and, and they'd be attracted to it and they'd be drawn in. And the whole handout thing, they're just welcome, just glad to see any visitors, frankly. But there's no sense in which we were going to do something for them or, or, or uh, let alone give money or anything like that. It was absolutely beautiful, compelling picture for me to see that when we, get, when we get this, when the church is the church, when we remember our identity as sons and daughters of a father who loves us, and we live out of that identity together collectively as people, it's so attractive. It is so attractive. People can't help but notice and come and want to be part of it. And that means sharing. Romans 10, you probably know the passage. Anybody who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. In other words, the Father wants to gather a family. He wants to gather everybody. Anybody can be gathered. But how can they call on him to gather them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Acts like the church. Shares love. Shares good news. Connects it with Jesus and the Father. And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. God is gathering a family. It's a compelling big picture. Some of us in the room tonight are being reminded again. Some of us may be even brought to a place for the first time. This is the big picture that you fit into. You may, not fit, you may think you're a misfit in other respects. You may feel lonely. You may be struggling in your friendships. You may be having all kinds of difficulties. God is saying, no, no, no. The big story is that you fit. And nobody can change that. The big story is that you fit. That's who you are. Know my love. Know yourself as a son or daughter. Live then out of that identity the rest of your life. Be who you already are and share it because it's the best news that anybody can ever hear.